0: Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Julie, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm just so glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. Um, And lucky for you, this is our uh, fall kickoff Sunday, which means we're going to have an ice cream truck after service. So you came on the right Sunday. Uh, And we're actually starting a new series this morning, and it's going to be on the parables. We're calling it Jesus's Stories, Understanding the Kingdom. And with this series, we are actually bringing back our question and response time. Someone wants to move the slide for There we go. Uh, so if you've been with us before, we often do this in the fall. It's just a chance for you, if you've got questions or things that kind of come up while you're hearing the message, that you are like, I wonder, what about this? Or how does this work? You can go to our website, rescitychurch.org. Uh, and if you scroll down a little bit on that home page, you'll see this logo, and there will be a little box that you can submit questions. So if at any point during the message you have a question, go ahead and um, go to our website and fill that out just on your phone. Uh, No one's going to look at you funny for being on your phone. It's an (laughs) an excuse for that. So if you want to do that, we'll take a few of them after uh, the sermon is done. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and we will jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for this chance to gather as a body of Christ, that we can learn more about who you are, that we can understand more of what it means for the kingdom of God to be here, and for us to pray uh, for it to become more and more like it is in heaven on earth. We ask that you would give us insight into your word and into your character, and help us ultimately to become more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, I want you to imagine something with me. So I want you to imagine that you are a parent of a high school student. And this student, he's really good at soccer. Like he's very talented, he's very fast, he's got all the skills, and he kind of knows it. He knows he's the fastest on the team, he knows he's probably the best player, and so he joins the soccer team at school. And because he's really good, sort of slacks off during practice, right? He kind of goofs off. He doesn't try that hard. Maybe he doesn't even really listen to the coaches all that much because he knows I'm the best player on the team, right? Like, I don't have to practice that hard. I've already got the skills. And so you as this parent, you witness this. And every day when you come to pick up your kid from soccer practice, you see your kid slacking off, and you see all the other students working really hard Right? They're trying to get better. They're listening to the coach. They're putting in the effort. And so you as a parent, right, you can sort of see maybe where this is going in the long run. Right? You can look ahead and see that if your kid continues to slack off and all of these kids continue to work really, really hard, eventually it might get to a point where the coach is going to play these other kids because they're putting in the effort and maybe have your kid be sitting on the bench. Now, you can do a couple of different things in how you want to handle this, right? You could sit your kid down and say, look, you need to put in the effort and practice, or this is not going to go well for you. But if you are an arrogant teenager, and your parents sat you down and told you that, you might say something like, yeah, right, mom. Like, you don't know what's going on. Like, you know everything in the world. You clearly don't understand soccer. I mean, come on, right? None of us have ever acted like that when we were teenagers to our parents. So you could do that or you could sit your kid down and you could tell them the story of a hare and the tortoise i'm going to read you this story a hare was making fun of the tortoise one day for being so slow do you ever get anywhere he asked with a mocking laugh yes replied the tortoise and i get there sooner than you think i'll run you a race and i'll prove it the hare was much amused at the idea of running a race with the tortoise But for the fun of the thing, he agreed. So the fox, who had consented to act as a judge, marked the distance and started the runners off. The hare was soon far out of sight, and to make the tortoise feel very deeply how ridiculous it was for him to try a race with the hare, he lay down beside the course to take a nap until the tortoise could catch up. The tortoise, meanwhile, kept going slowly but steadily, and after a time, passed the place where the hare was sleeping but the hare slept on very peacefully. And when at last he did wake up, the tortoise was near the goal. The hare now ran the swiftest he could, but he could not overtake the tortoise in time. Remember, the race doesn't always go to the swift. Now your kid might look at you and still if they're an arrogant teenager, they might say, yeah, okay, mom, what was that about? Right, they might not listen. But how many of you heard that story at some point when you were a kid and immediately remembered it when I started telling it, right? So maybe it's stuck with you. It's something that's memorable. And whether or not you did anything with it or learned anything from it when you were a kid, you still remember it. Now, this story, it belongs to a group of stories called Aesop's Fables. There are other famous ones like The Boy Who Cried Wolf or The Goose That Laid the Golden Egg. There are truly a lot of them. And these fables, they're fictional stories that are meant to help kids understand truths about the world, right? They're not necessarily moral lessons. It's not necessarily morally better to be slow than it is to be fast, but it's just teaching you the truth that just because you're the fastest doesn't always mean you're going to win the race, Now, we're starting a series on parables, and parables, if you're unfamiliar with them, they have one big similarity to fables. In the same way that fables teach kids truths about the world, parables are stories to help us understand truths about the kingdom of God. All right, this is something we're going to be talking a lot about, and I want you to really remember. Parables are stories to help us understand truths about the kingdom of God. One New Testament theologian, uh, I like how he said that he calls them (laughs) imaginary gardens with real toads in them. So they're fictional stories, right? They're not real, but they contain real nuggets of truth that might surprise you as you interact with the story. So they're fictional stories, but we're going to see these truths about the kingdom of God kind of jump out at us as we go through them. Now, I want to give a little background, again, because this is the first one of the series, so we're going, to, we're going to do a little bit more of like teaching and talking about parables, but I wanted to let you know why we're doing this as well. So in the New Testament, in Jesus' life and ministry, he taught somewhere between 30 and 50 parables, depending on how you define a parable. Some estimate that it's like up to a third of his teachings are actually parables, so if a third of what Jesus told us and taught the people in his life about were told in parables, it's something we should probably know how to interact with, right? We want to make sure we understand how to read them, how to find those truths about the kingdom as we go through them. And the truth is, is that we don't really use parables in our modern world quite as much anymore. We still love story, right? I think stories can still grab our attention and pull us in. We often use stories a little bit more for entertainment than we do for, like, teaching or making a point. And so we really want to take some time to understand how and why Jesus used them in his ministry. And then I want to go over a few other things, just, again, to familiarize ourselves with parables. We'll get very familiar with them as we go through the series. But a few characteristics of parables. The tricky thing about parables is they're not, none of them are all the same. So these are characteristics that fit most of them, okay? Not all of them are going to follow the exact same formula. But most of them are going to be brief and simple. So we just spent all of our time in 1 Corinthians this summer where we were looking at long passages at a time. Now we're going to dig into some shorter ones, kind of looking at that. Except for today. Today is kind of one of those exceptions. It's going to be a little bit longer. Uh, They often use language of everyday life. So everyday life of the people who would have been hearing them, which means we're going to get lots of agricultural references. So if you didn't grow up on a farm, if you don't have experience with agriculture, we're going to learn, we're going to dive into that. So it's kind of like, you know, if Jesus were here now today, might use a lot of examples about technology or other things that are just really familiar to us. So these are the, the language of everyday life. They also answer questions about Jesus his ministry, and the kingdom. So we're going to see this specifically in the one that we're looking at today. But some of them are sort of, you know, people are kind of puzzled by Jesus, right? Who is he? What is he doing? And these parables sometimes help give us context for that. Parables often use double indirect communication. So what does that mean? It basically just means it's not the story that is told. It's not about the hearer or the speaker or the subject. Right, so it's less straightforward. So in the example I gave, there's the kid and soccer and sort of him and his teammates and everything, right? But in the, in the fable, it's about a hare and a tortoise. So it's not directly coordinated with what the, um, who the message is being given to. So it sort of makes you think a little bit harder, right? You have to be like, am I the hare or am I the tortoise? And what does that result mean? Kind of, it's, it forces you to dig in a little bit deeper. And then maybe for people who are um, less, like more resistant to hearing Jesus's message, they might be a little bit more open to hearing this parable and thinking, okay, I'm going to think about that a little bit more, rather than just being hit over the head with these truths about the kingdom of God. And then lastly, they're not just moral teachings, and they're not just theological teachings. There are definitely going to be moral and theological implications that come out of these parables. But that's not the primary intent, right? Remember, the primary intent of these is to teach us truths about the kingdom of God. Okay, so in a lot of ways, the one parable that we're going to look at today, the parable of the sower, it's actually kind of a parable about hearing parables. So it's a perfect one to start out, um, and we're going to jump right into it. So this comes from Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly, but the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell uh, among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Okay, so like we do with any passage of scripture, we first have to ask, what is the context of this parable being told, right? They didn't just happen in a vacuum, they happened in a context. So let's figure out why Jesus chose to tell this parable at this moment. So in the context of the book of Matthew, Jesus has started his ministry, and at first, everyone is amazed by him, right? He's healing people. He is out there performing miracles, and the disciples have started to follow him, and it's all been great. And then as time goes on, we start to see more people respond to Jesus in a negative way, whether they're just ignoring him and his message, uh, or maybe even responding in a hostile way. And the disciples especially have started to experience this for themselves. So in chapter 10 of Matthew, we're in chapter 13 with this parable, so just a few chapters before, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and tells them to go and proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. And they get met with mixed reactions. Some people hear the message of the kingdom of God, and they are excited, right? They're willing to repent and believe the good news of the gospel. And some don't. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples for a moment. You just left your job and your home and your family to quite literally follow this guy Jesus wherever he goes and to learn from him. He's doing some saying some pretty incredible things, and at first it has to feel like such a huge high to be a part of his ministry, his miracles, his healings, his teachings. And then you start to get people who don't respond so positively to you, right? Now you're going out on your own and proclaiming this message of Jesus and trying to tell people, hey, you need to know about this guy. You need to know about what's going on. And they're like, meh. Or maybe they're even hostile to it, right? They're like, get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. And so now you're like, okay, I just left everything in my life to follow this teacher. And now a lot of the people I'm telling you about him don't even care. Is Jesus really who he says he is? Like, do I, did I make the right choice, right? You might be starting to doubt if following Jesus is really worth it or if you made the right call. And it's in this context that Jesus tells the parable of the sower. He says, look, the seed is going out. Sometimes it's going to grow and sometimes it's not. Meaning the message of the kingdom of God, the message of Jesus, which is to repent and believe the good news, is going out to people and sometimes it's going to be received and sometimes it's not. It's a truth about the kingdom of God that Jesus wants the disciples to know. Not everyone is going to respond to Jesus, but many people will, right? He wants to give them a little dose of reality and remind them it's okay that not everyone is going to respond to this message right away and as joyfully as you did. It doesn't mean something's wrong. It doesn't mean something uh, about the message is off. And then he gives them a big dose of encouragement saying, there will be a harvest. There will be many people who do follow, right? And some of the harvest will be 30, 60, or 100 times more than what you expected it to be. So you see how this is not really a, a moral or a theological truth first, right? It's just a reality. It's a truth about what it looks like for the kingdom of God to be coming into the world through Jesus. He's trying to give them a reality check, but also to encourage him that this message of the kingdom of God is not going to come back empty. And the disciples hear all of this, and they ask the question, that sometimes I think we're all thinking. Sometimes I think the disciples are just like stand-ins for us so that we can be like, yeah, what they said, right? So they say, why didn't you just say that? <laughs> the disciples come and they say, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? Jesus uh, then gives a little bit of a longer explanation. So I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll we'll kind of talk about it. He's quoting from a passage um, of an Old Testament book called Isaiah. So he replies, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use the parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really understand or listen. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, "'When you hear what I say, you will not understand. "'When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. "'For the hearts of these people are hardened. "'For their ears cannot hear, "'and they have closed their eyes, "'so their eyes cannot see. "'And their ears cannot hear, "'and their hearts cannot understand. "'And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. "'But blessed are your eyes because they see, "'and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it, and they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? He's basically, in a lot of ways, just repeating the same thing that he said about the truth of the kingdom of God, but he's using the Old Testament to sort of ground his response. And that's why he's quoting prophet Isaiah here. He's saying, this message, to turn from your old ways, to repent from your sins, and to worship God is not necessarily a new one. The prophets of the Old Testament were calling people to turn from idol worship and worship God all the time in their day. That's what Isaiah was doing. And when he did that, some people listened and some people didn't. And now the message to turn and worship God is even more real for the disciples because Jesus himself is God and is with the people. So he's saying, repent or turn from your sins and follow me. And Jesus says there were many faithful people in the time of the prophets who would have loved to be in the position that you are now, that they could actually see me be with God and turn and follow him. And now I want to take a little sidebar here uh, because I'm sure I will get questions about this if I don't. Uh, I might still get questions even if I do, but it almost you might ask, does it almost sound like Jesus doesn't want some people to hear the good news, right? So in verse 11, he says, "'You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not.'" So why are some permitted to understand the kingdom of heaven and others not? I'll just say this. We know that he's not saying that everything is fixed and people can never change. Because the point of this parable is that some people, uh, it's, the point of this parable is not that some people are out and some people are in, right? Like it's not like some exclusive club. The point of the parable is that the good news is going out and that some people are going to hear it and they're going to respond to it. They're going to say, yes, I want to leave my old ways, my old sinful ways, and I want to turn and follow the living God. So if he, the whole point of the parable is that some people are going to respond to this good news, then it can't be the fact that like everything is fixed and nobody can change. Nobody can uh, like leave their sinful life behind and turn and follow Jesus. right? We're all examples of that. And the whole point of the parable, and the parables surrounding it, there's this whole kind of section in Matthew with these parables about growing the kingdom, are about how the kingdom does grow, how people are going to turn and hear the good news of God. This parable isn't trying to explain some big theological truths about how people move from being people who don't understand to being people who do. It's just depicting the fact that there will be people who do both. And really the focus is on the the people who are going to come to know Jesus and follow him. The fact that some people won't respond is only part of the truth about the kingdom of God. And the other part is that many people will. Which again brings us back to that main point, right? The disciples were confused as to why not everyone is following Jesus when they thought, like, this is the guy, right? This is it. This is a really big deal. And some people, he's like, why why do some people not see this? And Jesus is just reminding them, not everyone is going to respond to Jesus, but many people will, right? Don't be discouraged if someone doesn't respond because there still will be a harvest of many who do. And I think this is an encouraging thing for us today, too, because it can be tough as a Jesus follower to see so many people either not responding to the message, or maybe you see people in your life who once responded and are now walking away from their faith. Right? I talk with a lot of you, and I know that there are people in your lives who are having that experience, and it's hard to watch. It's confusing. It can be difficult to know what to do with. And this, repair, this parable reminds us that just because someone doesn't respond, or maybe they're walking away from it now, doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the message of who Jesus is. So we don't need to try and change the message. We don't need to try to make Jesus more palatable or more likable. We just need to trust that God is in control of this and that some of these seeds are really going to grow. And it's going to be surprising. Some of them are going to grow more than we think or maybe it's going to take time and it's going to happen at a later date when you're not around and you don't get to know about it. But we trust that there is going to be a harvest of many people who are going to turn and follow Jesus. Okay, we have to finish the parable. Like I said, this one is a little bit longer than the others, and it's because Jesus actually gives us an explanation. So don't get comfortable with this explanation from Jesus because you're not going to get it with most of the other parables, but we do get one here, so I want to make sure we get to that. So verse 18 says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now, some scholars, if you get into like New Testament studies of parables, will argue that parables only have one main point, right? They're brief, they're simple, they have one main point. But others would say that, especially in this parable, because Jesus gives so much detail about all of these different types of seed soil and what it means, that there has to be something that he wants us to take from it. And I would agree. Usually if there's a lot of detail given to something, it means, hey, pay attention to this. See what is there and see what you can apply from it. And as I was thinking about this parable, I couldn't help but think about my own garden. So I've been attempting to garden for uh, as long as we've moved into the house that we are currently in. So it's been like seven years. And I have not been very successful. I will just tell you that. Uh, I have had fruit and, or vegetables who have gro- grown in weird shapes. I've had cucumbers that came out as balls instead of as like the normal shape that they're supposed to be. I have had some vegetables that just won't grow at all. And then I have had some that like replant themselves every year, even though everyone tells me that that probably shouldn't be happening. So I have been trying all of these different things as I've tried to garden, right? I'm not, I mean, I'm not trying that hard, but I'm trying some things to see what works and what doesn't work. And the biggest piece of advice that I have gotten that I haven't taken up yet is to get my soil tested. So the U of M has a soil testing lab, uh, and you can bring in soil samples from your garden and have them test it, and they will actually give you like a little report card and tell you what nutrients and things your soil is lacking or maybe what something that your soil has too much of. So multiple people have told me I need to do this. I think this is the year someone hold me accountable. I need to just do it um, because I think it could really help my garden (laughs) and see how things could change if I could get the soil to a better balance uh, for what these plants need to grow. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how in many ways, we can sort of test the soil that we might have in our own lives. And in this passage, the ultimate way to test soil is to see the fruit, right? So that means we have to wait a while to see what grows and what kind of fruit is produced, if any. But the parable does give us two examples that we can kind of learn from as we wait to sort of see what fruit is produced in our own lives. So from Jesus's explanation, we see that some people will expect that following Jesus makes everything in their life perfect. And when it doesn't, when it's challenging to follow Jesus, or when they're persecuted for it, or when it's just more difficult than they expected, they give up. So this is that seed that's in the rocky soil, right? It grows quickly, but it doesn't have deep roots. We also see that some will believe, right? They're going to grow and sprout, but the worries of this life will consume them and they won't actually produce any fruit. This seed ends up with the same result as all of the other ones, that no fruit is actually produced. And this is the one that uh, has the thorns that's described as the, the lure of wealth and the like worries of the world come in and choke it out. So if you're in a season in your life where you're not seeing a ton of fruit, Maybe you just feel kind of like you're stuck. You're not really growing. Maybe you feel stagnant. Or maybe you're seeing fruit in your life that you're like, I do not want this fruit, right? I do not want to be impatient with everyone in my life. I do not want to be anxious about all of these different things. Whatever it is, we can use these truths from the, kingdom, from the parable about the kingdom of God to sort of test our soil by asking questions about our expectations, and our priorities. So what are our expectations about following Jesus? It seems like even the disciples had some wrong expectations about what it would look like to follow Jesus, right? When they went out and started sharing the message and not everyone immediately jumped on board, they were like, well, what's going on here? I thought that this was just gonna be this really easy thing. And the truth is, is that following Jesus is not always going to be easy. He will not make everything in your life comfortable, and he will not prevent you from ever experiencing suffering. But he does fix the biggest problem in your life, the fact that without him, we are far from God. And it's through Jesus's death and resurrection that when we follow him, we get full access to the all loving God of the universe. Now here's the truth about the world that I think we all know. Whether you follow Jesus or not, you are going to experience suffering. We live in a broken world. It's why we need Jesus in the first place. And when we choose to follow him, we have hope that he is going to come back and make everything new. He's going to fix that brokenness. He's going to create a new world where all suffering will be eliminated. He's gonna make everything new. So when things go wrong in the world, whether on a large scale that you're seeing, you know, you're seeing some terrible thing happen across the world, or whether there's something in your personal life that is going wrong, some kind of suffering that you're experiencing, it shouldn't make us leave Jesus, it should draw us closer to him, right? You're going to experience suffering no matter what. So would you rather experience that suffering far from God, or would you rather be able to be close to him to be close to the God who loves you so much that he was willing to send his own son to die for our sins and to be raised again. The other thing we can ask is what are our priorities? The parable says that for some people, other priorities and concerns of the world are going to uh, choke out any chance of having fruit in their lives. So it might be helpful to check our priorities. Now, I'm not saying that we have to check our priorities because if we don't have God first, then he's not going to love us or because if we don't, you know, we have to prove to him that we're putting him first in order to earn his grace. It's not how it works, right? God came to us first. He loves us before we love him and he comes to us in grace. And as a result of that, we get to respond to him in love. And that's really what our priorities show. They show us what we love most in our hearts. Because when you really care about something, when you love something so deeply, you're gonna put it first, right? I think if you look at your own life, the things that you're prioritizing are things that you care about and are deeply uh, um, important to you. So when we ask what are our priorities, we're really asking what's first in my heart? What's the number one thing? And if there are things that are taking up more space or time in our life that they're crowding out God, even if they're good things, even if they're your family or your friends or your purpose, your work, whatever it is, if it's crowding out space for God to be first in your heart, then that's going to cause problems. It's going to cause you to not be able to produce fruits. it's going to choke out that connection uh, that you have with God. Not that it's going to take it away, but it's just going to make it really hard to focus on him when it's taking up that much space. So it might be time for us to, you know, reflect on where Jesus is in our heart in terms of priorities. And when we do that, I think the best way to go about reordering that so that God is first in our heart is just to reflect on what God has already done for us, right? Reflect on who Jesus is. When Jesus comes into the world, his message is repent and believe the good news. And then as he lives in his ministry, we see that he is willing for us, is willing to die, to be crucified, which is like the most terrible death that you could have, to be publicly humiliated so that we can have new life, so that we can be in relationship with him. When we reflect on that, I think it helps us to reorder those priorities in our own heart and to truly follow him. And we're going to get a chance to really do that in just a minute. We're going to take communion, and we're going to worship together. And uh, communion is a time where we get to really reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But before we get to that, I promised that we would do some questions and response. So I want to see if there are any questions before we jump in. Uh, Joel, yeah. you got anything?
1: I do, yeah. All we right. have a we have a few. I don't think we'll get to all of them, uh, unfortunately, but we had a bunch of really good ones. So Here's a few okay. for you to, to respond to. Um, why do you think Jesus doesn't explain many of the parables?
0: Yeah, that's a good question, right? And I think some of it, again, goes back to our uh, our sort of thinking is like straightforward communication is the best communication, right? I think that's a very Western way of life is like, we just need the answer. Just tell me what to do. That's not always how people have thought, and that's not how every culture around the world thinks. And so I think we have to remember that and not necessarily put our um, Western views onto the passage and say, Jesus should explain all these things. But I think the one, the, the one reason that sticks out the most to me is that, you know, again, if you're thinking about someone who, um, right, really has their mind made up about something, maybe it's politics, maybe it's um, what they're going to do with the rest of their life, you know, whatever it is. And if you want to have a conversation with them and maybe like challenge them on some of that, if you just go in and say, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you're wrong. They might be less open to hearing why you think that and considering your perspective than if you kind of go in with a little bit of a more indirect way of having that conversation. And when Jesus is doing his ministry, there are a lot of people following him and uh, listening to his stories who might have had their minds made up about who he was or how God worked or whatever it is. And so I think Jesus knew that not everyone uh, listening to him would respond in the same way. And so teaching in these parables sort of gives people more time to think about it and consider it. Um, maybe come back and hear it like, you know, I heard that parable. I'm not really sure I understand it. I'm not really sure I agree with it. I'm going to go back and listen to Jesus again and see what he says this time, right? Like sort of intrigues us a little bit more. It invites us in a little bit more than just sort of yelling and saying, you're wrong. This is how it is. End of story. So I think Jesus doesn't always explain it because it's sort of like an invitation to come back, um, to keep listening, to keep engaging with him and, and his message.
1: All right. What is the meaning of understand in this whole passage? Um, Maybe paraphrasing, what does it look like to understand the parable in the way that Jesus is looking for?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, In this parable, the word hear is really important. And if you listen to it, he uses that word often. And even in the Old Testament passage that he quotes, talks a lot about, those who have ears should hear, right? And listen to what is going on. And that word in the original language has more of a, um, it has less to do with just hearing and understanding, right? It's less than just like listening to a podcast and taking in information and now you know that information, you could regurgitate it. it. Has more to do with like listening and understanding in such a way that you then act or do what you're hearing. So like, you know, If you were to say to like your roommate or your spouse or whatever, you're having a conversation, you're asking them to do something and you're like, I don't feel like you're listening to me, right? Usually you mean what we're talking about isn't actually happening. So I feel like you're not listening to what I'm saying. Um, And so that's kind of the context here to hear and to understand is less than just to hear and know intellectually um, or to comprehend and more to hear and take it into your heart and have it impact you in such a way that's going to change how you live. So I'm not sure if that really answers the question entirely, but I think it has less to do with cognitive comprehension and more to do with like heart change in your life.
1: Maybe we got time for one more here. Um, So Jesus used parables a lot, like you talked about, Um, and you talked about how that's a part of their, you know, the culture that Jesus was in. Um, and is a little different than ours, but even though it's it's a different culture, and we don't live in the same one, what role, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but what role do you think that made up or fictional stories like this can have to better relate the gospel to people today, as opposed to maybe other ways? Can you think of some examples of that?
0: Yeah, I think they could have a huge role. Um, I think people might think we're a little strange at first, uh, just because that's not how we typically communicate, but um, I think that it, they can be really helpful. Uh, you know, in our sermons, Joel and I use a lot of metaphors or analogies because I think they can really help people um, kind of, it sort of gives you like an entry point to the point or the topic, right? It sort of gives you like a, a way to see yourself in something or a way to see um, something that you're more familiar with in the context of like what the point is being made or how how to relate to Jesus. And so I think it can be really helpful when we're talking with other people or or even sharing with other people who Jesus is, um, to use story, to use analogies or metaphors. Um, I think right now, personal stories are really powerful. If you can share your own experience of how Jesus has worked in your life, that can really um, mean a lot to someone because it creates that vulnerable connection. But it also, we sort of live in a world where like everyone gets to live their own truth. And so if you share your personal story, I think people are, are pretty open to hearing it. Own, they they want to hear your truth, um, even if you would think of it more as God's truth than as your truth. Um, but yeah, I think it can be a really helpful way to help people connect. So think about that. as you Or if you come up with a metaphor or an analogy in your daily life, don't just let it pass, right? Think about it. Think about how you can share that with other people. Because um, I think we do really learn from that. Or at least I know I do. <laughs> Cool. All right. Thank you guys. Those are great questions. Um, it's just really, I think, a helpful way to be able to continue dialoguing about this. And we hope that you continue dialoguing about this. In, if you're in a community group, we'll be talking about this this week. Um, and if you're not, maybe talking to someone else in your life uh, about this this week. It's a great way to just kind of continue thinking about it. All right. We are going to move into our time of communion. Um, and during that time, We just, anyone can take communion if you don't have to be a member here. We just ask that you are someone who is committed to following Jesus. Um, And so while you do that, I encourage you to um, reflect on your expectations and your priorities about what it looks like to follow Jesus, Uh, as you're reminded through the bread and through the wine or grape juice, (laughs) what Jesus has done for us on the cross. There will also be someone in the back to pray for you if you have anything you would like prayer for. Um, And then we're also going to be worshiping through song while we take communion. I've recently had a few questions about, like, how do we do communion at Rust City? Like, what do I do? Do I um, walk up whenever? Uh, Yes, you can go up whenever you feel ready. um, And then you can bring the communion back to your spot and just take it there. We won't do it all together. So just wanted to throw that out there in case you were wondering. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and we'll head into that time of response. Heavenly Father... Thank you so much that you you did come to live here among us, that you came to dwell with us, even though we're broken, even though this world uh, has so many problems to it and so much brokenness. You entered into that because you loved us and you wanted to share the good news of who you are and who God is. Lord, would you help us to respond to that good news? Would you help us to reflect on what you have done for us? how much you love us and how much you've made a way for us to have close relationship with you. And Lord, would you help us to share that good news with others, that we would not be discouraged uh, when people don't respond uh, or when they maybe respond but don't stick with it. Lord, would you give us the hope and encouragement that we know that there will be a harvest, that everyone uh, will have this experience of, of hearing your good news and being able to respond to you. In your name we pray. Amen.